Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. We're busy with a, a series, sort of as we're thinking about our fast and talking about the fast. I did mention I'm not speaking explicitly about fasting this year. Did a whole series of fasting on fasting two years ago. We shared that link. It's on our podcast if you want to catch up on those sessions and you're fasting with us and you haven't yet. I'd encourage you to do that, just to develop a bit of a deeper understanding about sort of the biblical discipline of fasting. Last week, I spoke about the fact that Jesus is a builder. I love that verse in, in Hebrews 3 verse 4. Every house has a builder, but the one who built everything is God. And we saw that in the New Testament and in the Old Testament, the language of God is the language of a builder. We saw specifically in last week's context, God builds people. He said that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And the way in which he builds his church is he builds people. He invests into them. He grows people. And then he builds with people. He takes people and he plugs them together. We saw in scripture, he plugs them together into a structure. And we become not just a beautiful stone, a living stone, a brick as it were. We are a brick that gets built into the house of God. And we prosper together in that way. And then God builds through people. He uses you and me to build into the lives of other people. And we spoke about all of that at quite a bit of length last year. As I've been reading about building and God stirring in people's hearts about His house and establishing and just studying up on that more and more, one of the things that just struck me specifically in this week as I was reading through the Scriptures again is throughout Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, repeatedly God moves in people's hearts to build and to build in various ways. But every single one of them builds joyfully. Every single one of them builds out of a place of, I'm wanting to do this. There's never a compulsion. There's never God says, you must or else. There are at times God saying, well, build. And one of the reasons you're struggling, you can read Haggai as an example, is one of the reasons you're struggling is because you're not paying attention to my house, but build my house and it will be go well with you again. And the people respond every time. There's something in their heart that stirs. And a part of what we're trusting God in these three weeks and in this month is for God to come and stir in our hearts what He wants us to do. Not for one of us to respond out of a place of obligation or a space, place of duty or fear, but every one of us, I want, I want to build. I want to be a builder. And that's what we spoke a little bit about last week. God, I believe, is inviting us to build. We also spoke about last week that we really want to see every single member in our congregation, every person who in some way is connected with us, we want to see them grow in community. We want to see you grow in community. We want to see you grow as a disciple a follower of Jesus. We want to see you grow as a leader, able to inspire and lead others towards Christ. I don't want to see you grow as a minister. We want to see you grow in your ability and your capacity to bring Jesus to other people. 
Those things are important and, and they're so key to us. And so that's just a, a little bit of a catch-up for those who weren't here last week. If you weren't and you're part of our congregation, I really would encourage you to catch up on that message. It's on the podcast. It's on YouTube as well. And it's just going to give you so much more clarity about where we are and the things specifically that we are praying about during the fast. As we're talking about building, anyone here ever built? Kind of const- done construction in your own home or something like that? A few of us nodding. Some of us putting up our hands. Some of us are wise. We haven't put up our hands. We haven't built. We did a building project at our house a couple of years ago, and someone said that I will learn as I'm doing the building process the one, two, three of building. You build once in your life. It takes twice as long, and it costs three times as much as you had planned. And building has a little bit of that. And so building, when we're building the house of God, when we are building the kingdom, when we are investing into it, there are resources that are needed. The primary resource that is used in building a kingdom is people, the builders. But there are other resources as well. And so this morning, we're going to speak a little bit about construction costs. We're going to talk a little bit about the fact that there are resources, natural resources, that can be used and should be used in the building of the kingdom. Building has costs. We don't have time. I wish we could. And we always get a little bit nervous when we speak about money. I've sort of gotten over that. Um, those who don't know my history, I spent a couple of years of my life talking about money all day, every day. I was lecturing at a university in finance and in economics and um, sort of got over some issues having to talk to hundreds of students every day around those. But a couple of years, but we don't speak about finance in church a lot, which is a little bit weird because Jesus spoke about finance more than any other topic. There are more scriptures to do with finance than any other topic in all of scripture, New Testament or Old Testament. There's just stacks and stuff that Jesus, stacks of stuff that Jesus had to say about money. And we don't probably spend enough time talking about it. Um, but we did do, and from time to time regularly, we do spend time talking about finances, sometimes very practically helping you to do your tax, because I get for some of us, that's confusing. Who started working for the first time this year? You just studied or something. January, you just started working. January and February, did you know that January and February, unless you're like way crazy overpaid, but most likely, January and February are tax-free. You get all of the tax you paid in January and February. Only you guys, not the rest of us. Only those who just started work, working. How cool is that? Anyway, we talked through all of those things in um, in some of our seminars, and we talk about the practical side, we talk about the theological side, and we've packed most of those sessions together in a podcast. And I'd encourage you, if you haven't yet, to listen to that podcast. It's really going to help you relate well to your finances. We'll post on the WhatsApp group the link. You can also search for it on your favorite podcast provider. So I'm not going to try and do sort of the full teaching about finances. You can't because there's just way too much that Jesus says about finance. But I do want us to read a a couple of scriptures and specifically how for this morning finance relates to building. Jesus says to us in in Luke 14, he says, don't begin until you count the cost. So if you want to do that home renovation, do it, but first do a budget. Okay. Get the invoices, get get the quotes rather. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost? 
to see if there's enough money to finish it. Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money. And then everyone would laugh at you. And so that's why you get like a good QS, like Jacques or someone, to come and help you kind of survey all of the quantities and figure out what you need to do and how much this thing is going to cost. They would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. There's obviously a lot of truth in that. I just want to highlight that Jesus is aware of the fact that building costs. And when Jesus says he will build his church, he's not oblivious to the fact that there are costs involved. One of my favorite, favorite passages when it comes to the idea of finances in Scripture is found in First Chronicles chapter 29. King David has just come sort of towards the end of his life. And had an interesting discussion. My, I'm doing um, grade 7 again. I don't know which other parents are here. I'm repeating grade 6 and grade 4 for the umpteenth time. At grade 7, I'm doing for the first time in a good number of years again. And as part of the grade 7 syllabus, you learn that there's an Ethiopian, no, not Ethiopian, African guy. Um, and see, I'm going to fail my grade 7 test. Where's my grade 7 assistant? She's probably at Children's Church where she should be. Um, about the richest man who's ever lived who was an African guy. And I'm going to say his name wrong if I try and say this now. So someone needs to help me because I've always been joking with my kids about the name. Who knows? Yes. Mansa Musa. I always want to say it wrong because it sounds like an Indian dish. But So Mansa Musa is, I'll ask my daughter, where's Fro Samusa if there's Mansa Musa? But, um, and they do this, they calculate it and they say, if you sort of take his wealth from way back and you kind of bring it into modern money, he is way richer than Bill Gates or Elon Musk or any of those people ever have been. And he's the richest man that's ever lived. And I put my hand up, I said, my daughter, I think they're missing someone. There might be one other person who at least plays in the same league as Mansa Musa. And we see him here, King David. He turns to the entire assembly at the end of his life. He's not dead yet, but he's coming to the end. And he says, My son Solomon, whom God has clearly chosen as the next king of Israel, is still young and inexperienced. The work of him, ahead of him is enormous, for the temple he will build is not for mere mortals. It is for the Lord God himself. And then he says this, Using every resource at my command, I have gathered as much as I could for building the temple of my God. Now there is enough gold, silver, bronze, iron, and wood, as well as great quantities of onyx, other precious stones, costly jewels, all kinds of fine stone and marble. And here's this King David who comes to the end of his life. He says, I've gathered as much as I could for building. I could have gathered as much as I could for a whole bunch of other stuff. A little bit of the backstory, some of us may know it. But David at one stage is lying in the bed in his palace probably. He's kind of going to bed in his big comfortable kind of suite. And he's having this glorious time. And he realizes, he says, whoa, something is wrong. I live in this big, beautiful house. And God dwells in a tent. That's not right. So something in his heart stirs, and he begins to put this plan into action. He says, this is going to change. My house is not going to be more glorious than the house of God. 
And so he starts this process. And then verse 3, he says, And now, because of my devotion to the temple of my God. You see, here's David, a great example. He isn't forced. God didn't say, David, you must. Something stirred in David's heart. He says, I want to do this. He says, because of my devotion, I am giving all of my own private treasures of gold and silver to help in the construction. This is in addition to the building materials I have already collected for his holy temple. I'm donating more than 112 tons of gold from Ophir, 262 tons of refined silver to be used for overlaying the walls of the buildings and for the other gold and silver work to be done by the craftsmen. Now then, who will follow my example and give offerings to the Lord today? If you take just what he donated in that moment and you sort of calculate the worth of the gold and silver and the other stuff, that's more than 20 billion U.S. dollars that he has donated right there for the building of the temple. And he says, who's going to join me in giving? Then the family leaders, the leaders of the tribes of Israel, the generals, the captains of the army, the king's administrative officers, all gave willingly. For the construction of the temple of God, they gave about 188 tons of gold, 10,000 gold coins, 375 tons of silver, 675 tons of bronze, 3,750 tons of iron. They also contributed numerous precious stones which were deposited in the treasury of the house of the Lord under the care of Jehiel, a descendant of Gershon. And I love this verse 9. The people rejoiced over the offerings, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord, and King David was filled with joy. There's another good couple of hundred million or billion or whatever it is that they've donated. There is just this move in people's hearts to say, this thing that is happening is glorious and it's beautiful and it's of God and I'm in for it. I'm all in. I'm, I'm not just in with my heart and my voice. I'm not just intentionally. I'm not just in there kind of in saying I'm with you. I'm putting my money on the table around us. I'm putting my hand in my pocket and I'm, I'm giving sacrificially. David gave all of his wealth, all of his kind of his gold and silver wealth. All of these other people, they said, we're going to give because the temple of God should be glorious and beautiful and magnificent. So when it comes to giving, there are at least three ways in, in Scripture, three sort of different giving things that Scripture highlights for us. And I just want to touch on each one of them for a moment. The first one is what we call tithes. Tithes is from the, the word that literally basically means one-tenth. Tithes is, is very close. It's probably not identical, but it's very closely related to the idea of first fruits, where the idea is that when you're working in the land, when you are in an agriculture environment, whatever it may be, kind of the first fruit, the, the first ones that get ripe, those are God's, and we offer them, we give them to God. And, and tithes is built on that principle as well, that the first 10% I give to God. And that was an Old Testament law. Can I just quickly just also say, I don't believe it's a New Testament law. I don't believe God is looking and saying, did you give 9.9% or did you give 10.1%? I don't believe God's heart is that at all. But I do believe there is something 
about having a place where we say, God, I honor you with my finances. See, the Old Testament, the law was, you shall not murder. In the New Testament, under grace, Jesus says, don't even hate your neighbor, because if you hate them, it's as if you murdered them in your heart. And then he says in the Old Testament, you mustn't commit adultery. And in the New Testament, he says, don't even look at a woman to lust after her, because if you have, you have committed adultery in your heart. So the New Testament, the bar is so much higher than in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the bar is 10% is the Lord's. I think in the New Testament, the bar is everything is the Lord's. And so I want to encourage us just around that and the exact number, the exact amount, the exact kind of Rands and cents, how exactly you give. We can talk through that. We talk through what we believe would be a biblical norm on the podcast. The point isn't so much that you have to give exactly 10%. The point is that there is something in my heart that says I'm committed and I trust God. I think tithing, probably more than anything else, what it says, it says, God, I trust you. I trust God that you can do more with 90% than I can do with 100%. God, I trust you with my finances. And the flip side is, God, I believe in this thing that you are doing, God. God, I actually want to give willingly because I believe in the work of your house. Romans 20 verse 16 says, If the dough offered as first fruit is holy, so is the lump. If the root is holy, so are the branches. And so the idea is that if the first fruit that we bring, if the first deposit of our paycheck, if we say, God, I give to you first, the first fruit, then the rest is also redeemed. In Malachi chapter 3, we sort of read a little bit about this idea of tithes. And he says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Really important there. Tithes and the place every Hebrew person would know. Tithe doesn't go to a whole bunch of other people, other places. Tithe goes to the storehouse. Tithe goes to the place that cares for and feeds for me spiritually. And so we believe that as we part of a church, and if you're part of a different church, this 100% applies there, and you're just visiting here today, we should be committed to sustaining the work of that church community. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so that there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Put me to the test. I've seen this over and over with people who are hesitant about the finances. And I say, well, let's put God to the test. God says you can test him. Let's put him to the test. Commit to say, God, for three months, I'm going to diligently give of the first of my finances to you. And at the end, they always say, I can't believe what God has done in these three months. And they continue. I honestly believe, we obviously work with a lot of young people. I believe the best decision you can make when you are young. It's harder when you're older. It doesn't become less of a good decision. But as you're young, you're starting out. You've just started getting an income. The best decision you can make is to commit to giving the first fruit to God. To give the first 10% or whatever it is that you kind of wrestle between you and God. might be more. doesn't have to be 10%. It can be 20 or 30 or 40%. You figure that out. You commit to giving that to the God. I believe that's the best financial decision you will ever make. He says, put me to the test. 
Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. There is something that begins to happen when we say, God, I trust you with my finance. And I trust you to do what the world says is dumb. But God, I'm serving you in an upside-down kingdom, God. I trust you. That's the first one. It's tithes and tithes which go towards our storehouse. Then second one is alms. Apparently, it's a word which isn't used very often. I had an interesting discussion with one of our interns this week who thought we were talking about alms. Like, you know, where does a general keep his armies in his sleeves? Um, and on the way out, you'll see there's an orange bin, for example. We actually had to put a big sticker on. That's why we had the discussion in the office. This is not a rubbish bin. Okay, so please do note some of you may have in the past, there is grace, there is forgiveness. We've cleaned it, we've washed it. It's not a rubbish bin now, okay? We do want to ask that you put arms in there. What are arms? Arms are when you give, some, when you give to someone in need, that's an arm. When I'm giving to the poor, when I'm giving to a place of shortage, and I'm giving someone, in this case, food, non-perishable food or clothing, which we can distribute to the shelters and the other place where we are engaged, or to someone in a private relationship that, you know, we give them, we care for the poor, the Bible calls that arms. So when you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let, your, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. Can I just quickly pause that last bit is so important? God sees, and He rewards. And we can, have, we can choose which reward I want. The reward can be affirmation from people. Oh, look, Philip is so nice. He gave stuff away. And that's my reward. I've got my reward. Or I can give silently, I can give without drawing attention to myself. And as I do it with that heart, God sees and God rewards. So I want to encourage us, let's be people who are generous in our giving. So we see in Scripture there is tithing, sort of 10% going to the storehouse. We see in Scripture offering, sorry, alms, giving to the poor. And then we see a third way of Scripture of giving, and that's offerings. Offering is a little bit different in the sense that offerings are above and beyond. That passage I read about in Malachi, it's very clear. It says God's speaking about tithes and offerings. They're separate components. You see, the tithe is that standing commitment that I have between me and God to give. Offering is what do I give beyond that? So a great example of offerings in King David and in the, all the families of Israel, all of those leaders, they brought offerings. It wasn't a, t- a tithe in that sense. There wasn't a commitment in their heart. There wasn't a sort of a, God, we give this regularly. This is a once-off. We see a need, a reason. We have a stirring in our heart, and we're going to give beyond what anybody has ever said we should give. Paul speaks about that to the church in Philippi, and he, he says to them, guys, as you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news and traveled on from Macedonia. No other church did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. 
And this is the heart always behind people who receive offerings. He says, I don't say this because I want a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. So offering is about the seed that we sow. Offering is about we put financial seed. We say, God, I'm going to sow seed and I'm expecting a harvest. And when we say that in today's terms, it's so important to clarify, harvest doesn't mean return on investment in rand and cents. doesn't mean I'm going to sow a hundred rand into um, Basil and, and Liesl, almost forgot their name for a moment. I'm going to sow a hundred rand into Basil and Liesl's life for whatever I'm going to say. Yeah, no, actually, Basil, I'm, I'm generous. Here's a thousand rand. Take your wife out for a great evening. You're pregnant. Just go and spoil her properly. Okay, God, where's my return? No, I'm wait. That's not how this works. The return comes... In non-monetary, sometimes in money, but in non-monetary terms. The term return comes in peace. The return comes in our, our journey with Christ. The return comes in way more than we can buy with money. Can I give you a crazy example here? I was at a conference many years ago in the U.S. And very last day of the conference, I've got a couple of cents left in my wallet. U.S. cents. Not a, maybe like I think it was like maybe $2, not a lot of money. I know $2 now is like, whoa. But even back then, $2 wasn't that much. So I'm sitting at this conference. The session is going to end. My friend and I, when the session is finished, we're going to probably grab the, a lunch and then head to the airport and fly home. It's right at the end of our trip. The last session, they're pitching a world tour. They'd never done this before. They're going to do a world tour. Big international organization. You guys will know all of them. All of you guys will know them. You'll recognize the names if I were to mention them, etc. God moves in my heart. I'm like, God, I'm all in for this. So they send offering bags around. So I take my wallet. I know there's not much in there, but I don't even bother counting. I'm like, God, everything that I have, I believe this is a God thing, so I'm committing it to this. I take my wallet out of my pocket, open up the zip, shake it all. It wasn't a lot of money. Shake it, but something in my heart committed. That organization, worldwide organization, something I know happened in that moment that connected me to them. You can talk to them, all of their leaders. They won't do any ministry in South Africa before talking to me, and they told that to me in so many words. A couple of years ago, we had a big event at Loftus, packed out Loftus, about 60,000 people there worshiping through the morning, through the evening, on our knees, praying. It was just a beautiful, beautiful night. Just before that, they had a meeting with a whole bunch of church leaders. And I'm not saying this to boast. I'm wanting to bring, because I didn't do anything. It was like $2. You know, it was just, I understood something about a financial connection, how that God rewards it. At the meeting, just before that big thing with all of the church leaders, their big guy stands up and says, they just want to say thank you to Philip. They would not have been able to do anything they've done in South Africa if it wasn't for me. And I'm like but I didn't do anything. But I know God did something. And so what I'm talking about is, you see, the return isn't finance. I didn't say, okay, God, I'm putting two rand, two dollars, not two rand, two dollars. God, I put two dollars in here. I must get ten dollars back. I got way more than I could ever have tried to buy back in relationship, in knowledge, and just being able to advance the kingdom forward. 
See, the reward doesn't always come in money. I don't say this because I want a gift from you. I want to, you to receive a reward for your kindness. So that's a seed that we sow. At the moment, I have all I need and more. I am generously supplied with gifts you sent me with Epaphroditus. They are sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. And the same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from His glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. And so this year, we want to invite you to give. Can I just also say that many of you have already given and continue to give and it's amazing. Every month when we pay our bills at the end of the month and we do our recons, I'm just amazed at God's faithfulness through you guys. Can I also say, because maybe some of us need to hear this, I believe we've got very good financial controls in place. We've got a long financial policy document. We are audited externally by independent auditors every year. Firstly, because we want to, because it's important for us to be able to have a pure heart around all of our finances. Secondly, because the financial institutions and SARS require it. So we have external audits done at great cost um, to, through all of our books. Also, can I say my salary, Yaku's salary, those of us who are on staff, isn't connected or correlated to, it's not like, oh, this month we had a good month, fill the pockets a little bit more. Last month we didn't give so much, Philip. Our financial system doesn't work like that. If you guys, for some reason, decide to give a whole bunch more this month, not one cent of that will go to my pocket. It will all enable us just to do more ministry. And so we try and steward our, our finances well, and it's open for anyone, any members in church. We don't have anything to hide. We're willing to open our books and to talk about it. We're actually busy with our annual audit. Our year end is end of December at the moment, and we go through all of those processes. The reason I say that is because we're not careless with our finances. And so I want to encourage us to give, and you guys give, and I thank you for the way that you give. Last year, we asked you guys during the month of fasting to give offerings, to give extra towards our children's church. Dead raised with the children's church now, but I think the amount was about 85,000 rand. What was the amount? 89,000 rand, and you guys gave 89,000 rand. I want to thank you guys so much for that. We've been able to upgrade some of the parents' room, some of the children's church. There's stuff all the time still happening. There's some, hopefully, some gardening things that are going to be changing that's obviously going to cost a bit of money, and we've been able to just really up the facilities for the sake of the children's church because of you guys, and we thank you for that. Our, our month-to-month, because of you guys, is sustainable, and we honor you for that. But for us to go sort of to step into a next level, we want to ask you this month to pray with us. To pray with us about giving towards three areas. Maybe just before that, I want to read in 1 Corinthians 16. I love this method, and this is the same method that we're going to apply now. He says, now regarding your question about money, being collected for God's people in Jerusalem. You should follow the same procedure I gave to the churches in Galatia, and we're going to follow in Pretoria for this next while. On the first day of each week, in other words, every week when you get paid for us every month, if you're a salary earner or whatever, 
You should put aside a portion of the money you have earned. Don't wait until I get there and then try to collect it at once. When I come, I'll write letters of recommendation for the messages you choose to deliver your gift to Jerusalem. So we want to ask you for the next three or four months to pray about it, to think about, to plan, to give towards one of three areas. As I said, last year we gave just under, just, oh, just under 90,000. We've upped that a little bit. We've upped our faith for this year. We trust in God for just over 115,000. Unless you're Kyle, then it's 150,000. But I just did a little bit of budget restricting on Kyle's requests there for us. And so there are three areas, three main areas. We want to ask you to pray about giving. Can I just say, you're not going to give today. I'm not going to ask you for a single cent today because you haven't prayed about it today. I want you to give in the same way that David's people gave. I gave because I wanted to give. I was willing. There was an exuberance in my heart in giving. So there are three areas we want to hold before you for us as a church. Um, can you go to the next slide? Please don't tell me the slides aren't there. And the next slide. No. Kyle gave me such amazing slides, which I've put in there, but they're not in there now. Oh, there we go. Okay. And so, just some heart behind what the band is doing, providing space for us to connect with God communally. And I don't know if you guys ever worked with sound equipment. Sound equipment's crazy expensive. And sound stuff. And so, we've got, over the years, we've built some really, been able to acquire some really great things. And we just want to level them up. To, can we go to the next slide? Um, some things that we really need, musically, the drum kit was a gift from one of our members. It's, the kit itself is okay. It needs care. It needs a little bit of refurbishment. And we made like a little self-help box around there. Um, and we need to put a, a proper box around it to save the old people's ears. And it just gives us better quality and better clarity around that. We need to care for the stage a little bit better, some things for the equipment, um, and then with our band, sometimes sometimes we've got a great band like this morning in terms of instruments full. Other times, everyone isn't always available. And then we love to use just software and backing tracks to able to help them. The problem is that stuff is expensive, scary expensive, um, the subscriptions to use it. So those are some of the areas. I think the next slide, he's put some money around it, some of what those things are going to cost. So the drums... Just go back up one. What is that total drums amount? That's about 35,000 rand just to get the drums sorted out. Um, and then the next slide. Um, stuff for the stage. Kyle's gone and got quotes and broken us all down. The next one, we don't have, if you want all the detail, you're welcome to. Most of us are just kind of bottom line type of people. There is some of the equipment um, that we need for that. The app, as you see, costs 4,000 rand per year just for the subscription. Um, and some extra cables and audio interfaces and things we need. I think the next slide um, puts a summary. So we're looking at high priority or at 56,000 Rand that we would love to ask you guys to pray about contributing towards for the band. That's going to help us not just here, but as we step out into outreaches and be involved in other places of ministry, having just the right equipment and right training, it really, really helps the band a lot. So that's one area which I think we all agree is a really important part of our church, the way we do church, and we want to strengthen that. The second one is we want to get back into our ministry to students. 
can I just also say, because I know what some people are going to hear again, so let me just say it so we don't hear that. We remain committed to every single generation. Last year, we gave extravagantly, exuberantly, joyfully to the kids because they're important. Families remain a priority. As a matter of fact, Yaku, as our family's pastor, and Deirdre, as our children's church coordinator, they are the only two people who have focused ministries to a specific generation as such. And so families are incredibly important to us, and they remain important to us. Marriages, healthy marriages, parenting courses, parenting training, um, marriage seminars, all of those things, pre-marital courses. We're going to help the parents who are having kids. I think this next coming Sunday, Saturday, there's a training. Get together. Hey, we want to help you through. You're pregnant now with the first one. It's a big step. All of those things remain exceedingly important to us. We're not stepping back on that. But what we do want to do is we want to step more in to students again. Student ministry for a long time was sort of a lifeblood and a heartbeat of our church. Most of our teams five years ago were students. Our band was students. Our serving teams, it was students, students everywhere. We loved it. It's great. They bring energy. For COVID and other reasons, we've lost that foothold. And students are such an important place for us to minister. We've got a pretty grand vision. Some of us, maybe you don't realize this, there are it's hard because there aren't exact numbers around there, but there are probably about 150,000 students in Pretoria. There is about 50,000 students. There's a bit more, about 56,000 students, but many of them are distance learning. There are about 50,000 students at the University of Pretoria across its seven campuses. Then there's the Tuani University of Technology, which is about 60,000 students. Then there's Academia and Soltec and Damblin and Vista and Varsity College and stacks more like them. There are probably about 150,000 university students in the city. Today, across all of the churches in Pretoria, I don't think there will be 5,000 of those students in churches. Maybe 10,000. Not more than 10,000. Across all of the churches in Pretoria. The vast majority of us sitting here made life-defining decisions or had encounters with Jesus during our student ages. There's something about that moment, and we want to get back into that moment. We need to get back on the campuses. We need to mobilize feet. We need to release marketing. And we've got a little bit of a budget that we set aside for that to get back onto campus. And we're trusting if we can have 30,000 rand for the rest of this year for student-based events and student-based marketing to be able to just mobilize towards that again. That's going to allow us to get that foothold back on campus for momentum begin to grow and for a snowball effect because students need students. Then if you guys have noticed this weird thing about students, there can be a couple of clubs. It's called the Strip in Linwood there where the kids all go to get drunk. They play the same music. They same they sell alcohol. They sell the same alcohol. But the one that's already too full with a queue outside, when Johnny arrives with his friends, he's not going to go to the one next door that's empty. He's going to go and stand in the queue for the one that's already too full. Students are a little bit weird like that. And so we need to get that momentum. We need to get that first group who are excited about Jesus, have a vibe, have some energy, and others will latch on to that. And once we get that momentum going again, we'd love to get to the point where we can employ someone on a full-time basis 
towards students probably in the next year, but obviously there's some financial considerations around that. So the first one is our worship. The second one is our students. The third one is our missions. I've already said this earlier in the year, at least twice, I think different Sundays. I want to say it again. My faith, my hope is that every single one of us is going to go on a mission at some stage this year. We're trusting God to begin to re-embrace, re-engage with the go part of the gospel. The gospel is about going. It's not about staying. Yes, I need to stay. I need to be a good husband, a good father, all of those things, but I need to be going as well. It's not one or the other. And so we want to mobilize every member to go. Unfortunately, going costs money. Our missions work on a self-funded basis. In other words, last year I went to Zimbabwe. Driving through Zimbabwe costs a whole bunch for visa and transit costs and petrol and food. And, and, and So I paid for that together with the guys who went with me. That doesn't come out of some other budget around that. Our missions work like that. The guys who go on the mission contribute towards it. And we would love to have a budget to be able to just plan a little bit better, to be able from time to time to bless the people where we are going, to maybe be able to send people to scout, to prepare, um, and to have finances available for that. And so kind of we're looking at about 30,000 rand towards that as well for the year. Add those three together, and I think you get up to 116,000 rand. Can we go to the next slide? I think it's put it on there. So I want us, I love this passage, the New Living Translation. I love how it's put here. Sorry, it's a different spot here in my notes. 2 Corinthians 9. The point is this. I think it's ESV, sorry. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And so what we're not going to do this year is we're not going to hand out pledge forms. We're not going to keep track of who gave what. I believe this is a holy thing. If you don't give anything, if it's completely in your heart, you say God isn't saying there's no stirring a desire in my heart to give anything. I'm going to love you the same, care for you the same, pray for you the same. If on the other hand, you're going to go totally over the top and say, I'm going to sell a whole bunch of stuff and I'm going to donate and I'm going to give. We're going to honor you for that in the same way as the person who didn't give anything. God sees and he's going to judge and how we respond and he's going to reward how we respond to him. But that's between you and him. So we're not going to ask for pledge forms. We're not going to ask who's giving how much. I do want to leave you with two questions to pray about in this next week. And so what I want is, I want you to make an act of faith if you do give. What do I mean by that? I give because I believe this is what God is wanting to me to do. I'm stepping out in obedience to who God is and to what God is saying. I didn't just go right down a random number. I'm, my faith is engaged in this moment. Whether it's a big number or whether it's a small number isn't the point. The point is I'm engaging my faith in what I am doing. And I want you to pray about this question. It's the question that David had in his heart. How much can I give? I'm going to be totally honest. That's a question that I have to be deliberate about because the obvious question in my heart when I start praying is how little can I give? 
If I get my paycheck at the end of the month, I start negotiating with God about how little can I give? How much can I keep? How little can I give? I want to be deliberate about praying differently. God, how much? It's your money, all of it. So how much of it can I give? Not how much can I keep, how much can I give? I want to pray about faith in that. God, I want to give as you've purposed. So I want to encourage you to take that prayer to God. So last week we prayed about where should I build? God, where, if anywhere, do you want me building? Because I want to put my hand to the plow to help build. This week we're going to pray about where can I give and how much can I give? Towards what should I give and how much can I give? I don't want you to tell me, don't have to tell your small group facilitator. This is between you and God. You go pray, you work it out. You decide this is how much I have in my heart. And then you can do it. See, we don't even have the bank details up here today. I don't want anybody to give anything today. I want you to go and sit and pray about it and come back filled with faith. And then on the WhatsApp group, we'll put the bank details for this and how we, because this is going to, we need to keep this separately and apart. This isn't going to go into our normal running costs because we want to dedicate it to these areas. So we'll show you how that happens. And then either the end of February, end of March, end of April, end of May, you can decide whether once a month you want to give a little bit, just like Paul told us to do it. Whether you want to do a bulk at some stage, that's completely between you and God. You figure that out. I just want to ask two things. Don't give now. But secondly, go pray about how much should I, can I give and where should I give. Does that make sense? Maybe a little bit different to what you expected about coming to church, but I believe God is in this. I believe God is in our giving. I believe that He sees what we do in secret and He will reward us for what we have done in public. I also believe that we should, and kind of, I'm going to go on a tangent now, on the podcasts, we should be really, really good stewards. So unless you very, very clearly hear God saying, and kind of you've prayed about it, and you've spoken to significant people in your lives, and they're full in agreement, please don't give away everything. That's not wise either. There are times and moments when God might do that, but that's not the standing rule. God gives us bread to eat. You need to be able to eat. And He gives us seed to sow. We should go to God and say, God, what is seed for this year that I sow? Okay, can we stand? I want to pray with us as we close this morning. Jesus, we want to thank you that as we stand here today, you have provided for us, Lord. And you continue to provide. You say that even Solomon in all his wealth wasn't clothed like lilies of the field. And you will care for the lilies. How much more will you care for us, Lord? And so we just again anew, we again renew our faith in you. Our faith that you will provide what we will eat and what we will drink, Jesus. And God, I pray, I pray that we would be like the Israelites. When David gave, Lord, their hearts were moved and they gave not out of compulsion, but Holy Spirit, that when we give, we would give willingly. We would give a smile, Lord, whether we're giving to the beggar on the street or whether we're giving to the program at church, Lord, whether we're giving to the neighbor at work, 
whatever it may be, God, that it will always be with a smile in our hearts and filled with faith, Lord. Pray that we may be known as a generous church, a church that doesn't hold back on giving because we know a Father who provides. And so, Jesus, I pray for every single person here, Lord, and you know every one of our financial situations, God. Lord, I know there are some people right now struggling even in their finances, just worrying about tomorrow and the day after and how it's all going to work. God, by faith, I want to proclaim over them that my God will supply in all of their need according to your riches, Jesus. In Christ Jesus, your glory and your ways, Lord. I pray, God, that you would make ways where there seems to be no other way, Lord. That as a church, we would discover not only Jesus the builder, but Jesus the provider too. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Christian Church. We believe that you enjoyed your time with us, establishing God's kingdom and His glory in your life. For more info, call us on 012-362-1363. Email us, pretoria at shofaronline.org. Browse our website, www.shofaronline.org. Or like us on facebook.com forward slash Pretoria.